Hello and welcome to the podcast that never sleeps, the podcast that brings you informative conversations with a dash of humor. Welcome to Sharing the Magic. I'm your host, your ghost host, Barry. Today our guest started his Disney journey in 1955 at the age of 12 years old selling newspapers, but this is not the highlight of his incredible journey. We will learn more about him shortly. First, let's say hello to our lost boys and girls. First up is the Goofy Dupe himself, Jeff. Jeff, how are we doing? Uh, we're doing okay. It's like thunderstorming outside and all of our phones are going off. There's like <laughs> tornado, <watch>. tornado <laughs> warning stuff outside. So, you know, if, uh, if, if chairs spontaneously like fly through the windows while we're on this cast, uh, just know the situation we're in. But uh, other than that, hey, we're doing great. And uh, it's great to be here and I'm excited for, for our guest. So. Fantastic. All yeah, right. Next up, she's practically perfect in every way. Annie, Annie, how you doing? I'm doing great, Barry. It's no longer thunderstorming here because apparently that's the theme of today's episode. Um, it is now bright and sunny skies. and I'm not under tornado warning like the shavers, so we're doing great. All right. Next up, she's the goofy dupes better half. Hannah, Hannah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Barry. Thank you. Yeah, we're just we're just waiting on the storm here, but it'll be a really fun night. So we're happy to be here. Good. All right, and everyone's favorite Disney dad, Matt. Matt, what's going on? Not much. We're anxiously counting down our days to our Disney trip. We're at sixteen, but uh, I'm very excited to get the chance to talk to our guest tonight to dive into some of those questions and his experience. I think it's going to be a great episode. Awesome. And last but certainly not least, the real Lady Divine, Lindsay. Lindsay, how's it going? I'm doing great, Barry. I cannot wait to hear Tom's journey from when he first started at Disneyland. Yeah, awesome. That's going to be exciting. Our guest today became an iconic character in the early days of Disneyland to help with the opening of Magic Kingdom and Epcot, as well as Disneyland Paris. I will let him explain his amazing story Sharing the Magic is happy to have the legendary Tom Nabe join us. Welcome to the show, Tom. Let's go for it. All right. All right, Tom, let's jump right let's in. Uh, why don't you tell us about how you began at uh, Disneyland? Tell us your little story about that. Well, uh, uh, we lived in, in downtown. I was born in Santa Barbara, California. And from Santa Barbara, we moved to L.A. And we're right downtown uh, L.A., and uh, just about the time Disneyland came on, so uh, in uh, 1954, uh, on Wednesday evenings, and and uh, uh, my mother wanted to move out of L.A. Uh, I had a, a, a paper route with the Herald Express, uh, a Herald Examiner, and and uh, uh, I started working about nine. Uh, and I'd ride up uh, on the bus to the Coliseum and sell newspapers at the fo football game. Uh, and so and from that, I would end up, uh, I got enough money to buy a bicycle. Uh, I asked my stepfather to buy a bicycle. He ain't going to buy any damn bicycle for you. So uh, I earned enough money selling papers up at the Coliseum. I bought a bicycle and I got a paper route. Uh, there in L.A. And uh, my mother, in turn, uh, started went down to Anaheim and started looking into houses. Uh, my stepfather had been in the Navy, and, and he was eligible in the 
GI Bill, and and so uh, uh, she found a house that was about seven tenths of a mile away from Disneyland. Uh, and so in December of 1954, relocated uh, from downtown LA uh, to Anaheim. Uh, and Anaheim was considered a rural area at that time. It still had orange groves. Uh, and and uh, I, I tried to get a paper route, but you had to be 16 and had to have a car, and I was only 12, so that wasn't going to happen. But I could get a Sunday paper route. Um, and so, and back then, the Sunday paper was, you know, 45, 50 sections, uh, weighed a pound, pound and a half. Uh, and I had a little cart that I hooked on the back of my bicycle. And I had about 20 customers in the neighborhood. And then my news uh, manager would drop off any extra papers he had. And I would uh, pedal over to the Harbor Gate at Disneyland. Uh, and they were working uh, 24 hours. And I would try to uh, sell the, uh, not try, uh, there wasn't any problem, of uh, selling newspapers to the construction workers that were getting off on Sunday morning. Uh, and I met uh, a gentleman by the name of Ray Ahmed. Uh, and Joe and Ray Ahmed had a, a concession on Main Street called the Castle News. And uh, Ray said, you know, when the, when the park opens up, if you want to sell newspapers, come find me out front of the, the gate uh, in the morning. And if you sell 100 newspapers out, outside, uh, that will let you come inside and continue to sell newspapers inside. So that was a pretty good deal. So I was uh, I was an independent contractor, uh, and uh, uh, on on the opening day, July seventeenth, nineteen fifty five, uh, watched a little bit of it on TV, and then my mother and I uh, walked over uh, to the uh, Disneyland because it was. Uh, uh, didn't have a parking pass, so we couldn't get in, into the parking lot. Um, my mother was a starlet wannabe, and she's that lady that's behind the barricade at all the premier openings uh, with her autograph book and that type of thing. And that that's what she was. She was out there uh, wanting to get the autographs from whatever celebrities that were going to show up at Disneyland's opening. And sure enough, uh, Danny Thomas uh, came out, and she asked him for his autograph. And he sort of leaned forward, and he said, you know, have you been in the park? And, he, and she said, no, uh, you know, we weren't invited. And he says, well, I got a couple tickets. Would you like them? And so my mother's eyes got about this big around and that type of thing. So technically, I went to the press opening of Disneyland on July 17th, 1955, as a guest to Danny Thomas. Uh, and then the, the, uh, I got in the park, and, and uh, I, I really wanted to drive those Octopia cars. Uh, that, that was right on the top of my list. And uh, so we made our arrangements to meet by the carousel in Fantasyland. And my mother wandered down Main Street. And I beelined it over to Tomorrowland or to uh, drive one of them Octopia cars. And by the time I got over there, they were all broke down. Uh, so I, in turn, came back into Fantasyland. And uh, my mother and I rode the carousel. And I think that's the only attraction that we rode that day. Uh, we tried to get into Carnation on Main Street to get a, a 
hot fudge Sunday, but uh, they were just inundated with people. And I think you all uh, heard the, that uh, Walt had to make a dis- decision between uh, toilets or drinking fountain, and he elected to, to take toilets. So uh, you had to you had to buy a a beverage if if you wanted something to drink. So in turn, the next day, uh, which was July 18th. Uh, my next door neighbor, Doug Harmon, and myself, we walked over to the park and uh, uh, we went in as guests, stood in line. Uh, and uh, we both bought uh, child's tickets, which was uh, 50 cents, uh, and went to the park. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see the expression of you. Any of you buy tickets recently? I wish, Tom, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, understand every attraction had a ticket booth in front of it. Okay, so so you had to buy a ticket to ride the carousel. You had to buy a ticket to go on the Jungle Cruise, uh, that type thing. But but it cost a, a, an admission to get in the park. And Walt wanted that uh, to ensure uh, that uh, the folks that were coming in uh, could at least afford the admission to get in into the park and and pay some of the overhead that was occurring. Uh, And then on July uh, 19th, uh, I showed up at at, uh, a little after seven in the morning and uh, Ray was there handing out newspapers. And so I got my newspaper. The deal was uh, uh, the copy was 10 cents. Uh, Joe and Ray got seven cents. I got three cents uh, off the paper. Uh, and it was a monthly publication, so it talked about the the planning of Disneyland. Uh, it talked about coming attractions uh, and that type of thing, and all the the uh, lessees that Disneyland advertised uh, in the paper. Now, understand, only about six hundred employees actually worked for Disneyland. Okay, the people that operated the rides and attractions, the maintenance people administration okay worked for disneyland all the rest of the people uh worked for some uh concession uh and they were called lessees at disneyland at walt disney world they were called participants i example was carnation sponsored uh, uh, uh the carnation restaurant on main street uh swift's market uh, sponsored the red wagon in uh, and uh, you had Pendleton uh, uh, that had a, uh, a a shop in Frontierland, uh, and Pendleton Church were very popular uh, back at that time frame. Uh, Casa de Fritos uh, and uh, uh, a Silver Banjo was uh, sponsored by Don Don Lafour, uh in the park. So. Uh, the selling the newspapers was, was was sort of a slam dunk, and uh, one of the other things that I would do is is Joe and Ray would go through the news. The, the if if you look at the entrance at Disneyland and then at Walt Disney World and Disneyland Paris, and I think at Tokyo uh, uh, also the merchandise location on the left hand side of the entrance is called the newsstand. Well, in 1955, 
there wasn't any internet or that type of thing. People actually read the newspaper, and the newsstand uh, sold newspapers from all over the country. Uh, and uh, what Joe and Ray would do on a daily basis is go through the newspaper, uh, pull out all the editorial sections, and I would carry those up to the manager of publicity, uh, Eddie Mech's office, because uh, he wanted to know if anything was said about Disneyland in the in the papers. So that was one of my jobs besides selling newspapers. I would relieve those guys, and in the morning, I would haul uh, those papers up. Well, I got a pretty good uh, insight now with publicity because I was going to the publicity department every morning and Eddie Eddie would say if they had some publicity shots going on uh, go get that redheaded kid that that Tom kid and we'll use them in this shot so I was in a lot of uh, publicity shots back back in the beginning uh, I did have not the strawberry blonde that you see today I did have fire red hair and uh, freckles that would jump out uh, uh, all over my face. Uh, so in, in turn, uh, City Hall uh, had pretty much the publicity department, group sales, uh, and uh, the entertainment department was in there. Uh, and uh, uh, Walt had his apartment in the fire firehouse. And what he'd do, he'd drive down on Fridays stay in his apartment Friday night, Saturday night, and then drive back up to the studio on Sunday. And and uh, after we got through that first summer, uh, somebody said, hey, uh, Walt has made an announcement that he's going to build Tom Sawyer's Island uh, in the rivers of America, and you look just like Tom Sawyer. You should ask him for a job. And I thought that was a heck of an idea. And uh, Walt was in the park frequently, and I, I, uh, I tracked him down uh, behind his apartment, and I introduced myself, and I told him uh, that I looked just like Tom Sawyer, and he should hire me, uh, and uh, he didn't. Uh, but, but what happened is he said, I'll think about it. He didn't say no. If he had said no, we wouldn't be here talking. Okay, uh, and I'm a pretty persistent guy. So uh, in turn, uh, going forward, every time I had a chance to track Walt down, I'd ask him if he was still thinking about hiring me uh, to be Tom Sawyer. And I remember one of our conversations uh, was uh, that he could put a, a mannequin or was it a dummy? One or the other over on the island that wouldn't be leaving every 10 to 15 minutes for a hot dog and Coke. Uh, and uh, that went on for almost almost a year. Uh, in in and then in um, uh, May or June, you know, maybe it was April. Um, I, I want to say it was in May of 1956. I was in the Penny Arcade spending my hard-earned paper money playing the baseball machine. God, I love that baseball machine. And a gentleman by the name of Dick Nunes came in and tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, some of you may know who Dick is, uh, but at that time he was the uh, uh, supervisor of Frontierland. And uh, he said, Tom, come with me. And any of you that know Dick, when Dick said, come with me, you don't argue with Dick. You went with Dick. So we went over to Frontierland, and as we were going over 
over the bridge by the uh, chicken plantation. I could see a raft coming back from the island, and I could see that Walt was on the on the raft, uh, and uh, Morgan Evans, Bill Evans, the landscape architect, was on the raft. So we went down there, and uh, <laughs> Walt said, hey, you still want to be Tom Sawyer? And I said, absolutely, Mr. Disney is a super. And understand, you know, Walt... Uh, Walt was easy to talk to. Uh, he had uh, a lot of uh, teenage uh, actors and and uh, a couple teenage daughters and that type thing. And and he pretty much let you say what you wanted to say, and then he'd respond back to you. And and uh, uh, I think Walt was just a big kid at heart, anyway. Okay, so in turn, he says, uh, you know, you need to get a work permit and a social security card, and as soon as you do that, I'll put you to work. So uh, uh, the social security card wasn't any problem. It just went to the employment office uh, in, in Santa Ana and uh, filled out the form and got the social security card. Okay, work permit was a little more of a challenge. I had to get a form from school, had to take it into employment, Employment had to fill it out, then I had to take it back to school, and the school had to approve it, and then they would issue a work permit. Uh, so I, I took my form into the employment office, which was in a house on Main Street, on uh, West Street, that they didn't tear down, and uh, I told the lady there uh, that uh, my story, and uh, she said, hey, have a seat. So she went in and uh, told uh, Chuck Whalen, the manager of employment. Uh, and uh, this side of the story I hear from Dick, okay, uh, is, uh, and, and that Dick knows all about it. Okay, so uh, uh, Chuck called Dick and said, hey, I got this kid over here that says, yeah, we'll hire him to be Tom Sawyer. You know, Dick, you know, we don't hire kids. And uh, <laughs> Dick said, take a deep breath. You know, Walt did hire him. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so in turn, at that point, uh, all my paperwork got filled out, and I got my work permit. Now, if you look at the opening of Disneyland's Tom Sawyer's Island, it was on June sixteenth, nineteen fifty-six. Okay, my hire date is June eighteenth, nineteen fifty-six. So the kids that you see in those publicity shops. Uh, were the winners of the Tom Sawyer and Vicki Thatcher contest from Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, now, I did go with Eddie Mack, and we had a little slate that says, I love you on it, a chalk slate, and, and was the invite uh, to the uh, press opening on Tom Sawyer's Island, and we went to every newspaper and, and radio station and, and uh, TV station in uh, L.A. and uh, Los Angeles County and invited all Eddie's, Eddie's friends to come for the opening. Uh, okay, so in turn, what did Tom Sawyer do? Okay, uh, I posed for a lot of pictures, and I would respond to either Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn. Uh, I wouldn't respond to Becky Thatcher or India Joe. Uh, and in turn, we had stocked the rivers, had fenced off an area. The fishing piers were just opposite the, the uh, Mark Twain landing and uh, had segregated an area, and they had stocked it with bluegill, catfish, and uh, uh, 
sun perch. And in turn, I had uh, 50 cane poles, 25 on each pier. Uh, I had a, a line on it, a cork, a sinker, and a hook. Uh, and uh, when we first started, it was a catch and clean program. So if the gets caught the fish and really wanted to keep it, I had a little cleaning station that I could go clean the fish and put it in a plastic bag. Okay, uh, now this is in the summer of 1956. Old dead fish started showing up in places you didn't want old dead fish showing up. And so uh, immediately, uh, it, it was less than two months into the opening, we went from a catch and clean to a catch and release program, and I debarbed all the hooks. Okay, so in turn, uh, I, I think one of my memorable times was, was uh, Walt would come over and visit and ask how things were going. Uh, one of my conditions of employment was I had to maintain a C average in school. And uh, uh, he wanted to see my report card. Uh, and then he slowly delegated that out uh, to Dick. Uh, but uh, all through junior high school and high school, I had to bring my report card in uh, and show it to, uh, to Dick Nunes in order to stay uh, employed. Now, now uh, I worked all, uh, six years as Tom Sawyer. That last year, I was a little too old to be Tom Sawyer, but I was too young to be a ride operator. He had to be uh, uh, 18 years of age in order to be a ride operator at Disneyland. Uh, so in turn, what I did is I, I'd go open up the dock, uh, get all the fishing poles out, uh, get the worms out. Uh, now, uh, the worms... <laughs> That's that's another story. I had a uh, had a supervisor that didn't think that we were getting our fair share of worms from the worms guy. Uh, so I got into uh, my my first challenge of inventory control, and uh, he wanted me to uh, check the pallets of of worms, and we had three pallets each time on the delivery, and. Uh, so in turn, I went through, and and they came packed in in uh, smart pills, rabbit manure, uh, and I would take them from that that and put them in uh, potting soil and put them out on the dock, and uh, I went through and inventoried the pallets, and we were getting more than our fair share of worms in each of the pallets, uh, sometimes almost double uh, what what we were supposed to be getting. Uh, so that was my first experience at inventory control. Uh, work all the way through, uh, uh, as I said earlier, uh, uh, junior high school, high school. Uh, I'd come in early in the morning and the, and the raft guys would teach me how to drive the raft. Uh, so when I turned 18, I was already a qualified uh, raft operator. Uh, so that first summer uh, of uh, uh, 1961, uh, I was the uh, uh, relief foreman on Tom Sawyer's Island, and they had held a contest in the Anaheim Bulletin, and they had replaced me with a with a kid called Keith Murdoch, uh, and uh, he only worked summer times, but he worked three years, and then after that, there was no longer a a, a Tom Sawyer. Uh, Tom, can I ask you? You have so many fond memories of being Tom Sawyer, was there something that 
of that entire experience that really stood out to you? Like that was your favorite part of being Tom Sawyer? Uh, I'm, I I think the photo things that went, I was on, on the uh, uh, cover of Parade Magazine. And I ended up uh, getting a lot of people uh, wanting me to autograph uh, that cover copy. And that was that was one of those things that uh, my mother thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to click in there and, and pretty much say that one it was also in in uh, uh, Saturday evening post in in June of 1958. Uh, so on the cover of Freight Magazine. And I want to say April 7th, 1957. And then in uh, Saturday Evening Post, uh, uh, June 28th, 1958. Uh, and turn, like I say, Eddie, <laughs> Eddie Mick, anytime would end up trying to get me in some publicity shots and that. And later in my life, uh, one of his trainees, uh, Charlie Ridgeway, uh, would do the same thing. Uh, and every time he showed up, he showed up with a straw hat. He wanted me to wear this straw hat as a Tom Sawyer as a <laughs> and we go rounds and rounds. And that was a time of my life. But you know, I'm now a supervisor, and and I, I don't need to be wearing a straw hat. And he says, "Oh yeah, you need to wear a straw hat so we can tell you the Tom Sawyer story." Uh, so in in turn, there was one time that that uh, Walt came over to the island and he said he was going to shut it down and add some new things to the island. And he wanted to know uh, what, what what should he add to the island? And I told him, I said, you know, well, we need a, an escape tunnel from Fort Wilderness and we need a tree house. And sure enough, when it came back up from, from rehab, we had a tree house and we had an escape tunnel from Fort Wilderness and we had teeter-totter rock and castle rock and merry-go-round rock. But I won't take credit for the rocks, but I will take credit for the treehouse uh, and the escape tunnel. Uh, so that's my only only claim to art directing that I can recall. Maybe a uh, little Imagineering on your resume there. Yeah. Uh, well, I did work for WED for a while, but that's a little okay. further down the road. Later on, yeah. Okay, so in, in uh, the end of uh, the summer of 61, uh, the same supervisor that I did the inventory of the worms for uh, stopped by on uh, and Disneyland was closed on Monday and Tuesday. Okay, uh, and Tom Sawyer's Island only opened on the weekends. Uh, so uh, he handed me a a spiel uh, for the Jungle Cruise on a Sunday evening. He says, "Tom, memorize this." And on Wednesday morning, re- report to the Jungle Cruise, and we'll train you as a, a jungle bunny. Uh, so, okay. So I took it home and memorized it and showed up on the Jungle Cruise. And uh, I think my trainer was Earl Archer. Uh, and we made three trips. And Earl said, bless you, my son. You're now a jungle bunny. And turned me over <laughs> and, and uh, started operating on the Jungle Cruise. Uh, yeah. During that time frame, the uh, the jungle and the submarines were two attractions that were male operated, uh, and so you're going to work one or the other. I worked every attraction at Disneyland, with the exception of the steam trains and monorail. 
And the reason being is that those were operated by Retlaw. And Retlaw was a company owned by the Disney family. And it's Walter spelled backwards. So that's what Retlaw is. And uh, in order to work uh, uh, for Retlaw, you had to be six foot tall. Okay. And I was never going to be six foot tall. Okay. And we could do things back at that time frame, uh, casting wise, in order to do that. Uh, so in turn, had worked every attraction. Uh, I, I, I think some of the neat things that went on uh, was uh, 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 Dixieland and Disneyland. I really enjoyed that. Uh, had the opportunity to uh, uh, ferry Louis Armstrong uh on on his uh show that night and then the next two uh, events uh, uh were, were uh al hurt uh so I had him uh, on a raft and and uh the first dixieland and disneyland <laughs> we had the firehouse five plus two on a keel boat and and uh there were six of us standing around the outside of the keel boat and we had uh, fire hoses, and we were supposed to <laughs> with the fire hoses. Well, the, the the operator on the keelboat made a little too sharp of a turn, and the pickup for the pump for the fire hoses lost its prime. And so there are six of us, three on each side of the boat, with these hoses that are going. And I could hear on the radio going, tell those guys to put the hoses down. Tell those guys to put the hoses down. Because <laughs> <laughs> but those are those are some of the interesting times. The city of Anaheim uh, has celebrated Halloween. Uh, city of Santa Ana celebrated Christmas. And uh, Orange did uh, Easter. Uh, and so uh, uh, we were always had a, Disneyland presence in the uh, Halloween parade, and I drove the omnibus a few times. Uh, so in that early time frame of uh, 60, 61, uh, I was a permanent employee, but that only meant that you worked uh, uh, eight hours on Saturday and eight hours on Sunday, and you worked a four-hour shift on Wednesday, and if it was busy, then it got extended. And what I would do is come in on Thursday morning and sit in the office and wait for people to call in sick, okay, and and let management know that I was there and available to work. And so I wait until about 10:30, 11 o'clock, uh, and then uh, if I did get put to work, then I I drive down to Newport or Laguna and surf. Uh, nice. So nice. yeah, that was one of those. I was into into surfing before surfing was popular. Uh, <laughs> I learned how to ski uh, over on the driving range at the Disneyland Hotel uh, at the Disneyland Ski Club. So we had a, a dry dry land session, and and then uh, finally got up to Big Bear and and uh, uh, skied on some man-made snow for a while. But I got into skiing, and I, I enjoyed that. Uh, in 60, 65, um, I got an invite from my other uncle, Uncle Sam, 
uh, Uncle Sam basically wanted me to participate in a little war in, in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, and so I sort of looked at it and, and uh, realized that I was, I was 4A. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I worked at Disneyland, employed a whole lot of uh, Marines from, from Camp Pendleton and from uh, El Toro. And uh, uh, John Wayne was one of my heroes. And so I, <clears throat> you do some dumb things in your life. But I, <laughs> I enlisted in the Marine Corps and I enlisted for a three-year hitch. And with the three-year hitch, uh, which I didn't know at the time, made me eligible for schooling. Okay, a two-year hitch made you a grunt. And you were going to be beyond the realm. A three-year hitch uh, maybe eligible for schooling. And somehow I scored very high in electronics uh, on it. And uh, uh, so they uh, decided to make an aviation radio repairman out of me. And so I went to, I was in the Marine Corps, never got more than 82 miles from home during the height of the Vietnam War. Uh I was uh, slotted to go to Da Nang, uh, and I had the uh, Battle of uh, uh, Pacific Coast Highway uh, 101 uh, drunk hit me head on and tried to kill me, uh, put me in the hospital for five months. Uh, and then after that, I, I eventually got mustered out of the Marine Corps on a medical discharge, and that happened in 1950, uh, 1968. Uh, when I got back to Disneyland, and, and understand there was an obligation there that employers had to re-employ you. Uh, you. You had a six-year obligation uh, to, the, to the government for military. Uh, and so I went back to Disneyland, got reinstated, uh, and uh, they started interviewing people uh, for Project X. And Project X was Walt Disney World. Uh, and so I ended up getting... Uh, promoted uh, as an assistant supervisor, and uh, guess guess where I went? I went to work with Redlaw and trained on the monorail. Okay. <laughs> Pete, Pete Crimmins, who is my going to be my my manager in in Florida, uh, I said, you know, Pete, you know, I you know, I haven't worked the monorail. He said, oh, I know, we'll train you. You know, no big deal. Uh, and so, uh, in turn, for almost the next year, I trained at Disneyland on the monorail. Now, they did modify a costume for me, uh, and that was back when there was a Captain America costume. And when I walked out of wardrobe uh, and looked at myself in the full-length mirror, I looked like a little red, white, and blue barrel. So I knew that. <laughs> Six foot in, in height. <laughs> Uh, uh, so it turned uh, in in uh, May of 1970, uh, we came to Florida for a pre-move, uh, and in January 1971, I relocated from Florida to uh, from California to Florida. I had never been east of Phoenix that I could remember. My mother told me that we had gone to Chicago on the train. But I didn't remember that train ride, uh, and uh, uh, drove drove two Volkswagens out. Drove one and towed one, and uh, my wife had put a sign in the in the car that we were towing. It says two more bugs for Florida. Uh, 
and we used to get a lot of hoots and hollers. Took us six days to drive across country uh, in order to get to Florida. Uh, so uh, in turn, I opened the monorail system uh, in Florida, and then uh, almost a year after opening, uh, they decided they were going to build Tom Sawyer's Island in Frontierland. Uh, so I had a little bit of expertise in that area. Uh, so I transferred from transportation uh, into Frontierland Liberty Square. Uh, and I, I sort of got tagged as a nuts and bolts guy because once we opened the island and got it up, and we did the same thing uh, yeah, for the island opening in, in Walt Disney World, we invited the kids uh, from the Hannibal. Uh, Missouri, uh, Tom Sawyer, Becky Thatcher contest to participate in that opening. And right after that, then I got the opportunity to go to Tomorrowland. Uh, and that's when we built Space Mountain, uh, Wedway, uh, Carousel of Projects, and Star Jets. Now, Star Jets was like the old Astro Jets of Tomorrowland. Uh, but in turn, you moved it up three stories high, everybody wanted to ride it. When it was on ground level at Disneyland, it wasn't the most popular uh, attraction. Uh, so in turn, uh, uh, those up in 75, and then I, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, go to Fantasyland uh, when all the art directors came out uh, to Florida. Uh, they went to Silver Springs and they were just enamored with the clarity of the water that was coming through Silver Springs. So they made the, the decision to pump uh, water out of the aquifer into 20,000 lakes. Well, the problem being is the flow of water being pumped out of the aquifer didn't even come close to the water that was flowing out of Silver Springs. Uh, and uh, in turn ended up getting uh, uh, a stagnant area and algae and the divers had to go down and scrub the mermaids and the fish and the, and the portholes on the submarines. So the decision was to shut down 20,000 lakes, totally rehab it, uh, put a filtration system in it, and then open it back up. Uh, when it originally opened, uh, the water went from the aquifer into 20,000 lakes, from 20,000 leagues into the moat, okay, from the moat into Jungle Cruise, then Jungle Cruise into Rivers of America, from Rivers of America down the lightboat channel into the Seven Seas Lagoon and into the 55 miles of canals that we built on property before we opened Walt Disney World for flood control. Uh, so that was uh, that was an interesting thing. And got that opened and operating, and then I uh, I got a call uh, uh, that uh, uh, they wanted me to go back to Frontierland, uh, so I went back to Big uh, Frontierland, and we opened Big Thunder Mountain. Okay, cool. uh, and the advantage that we had is that they had built Big Thunder Mountain at Disneyland first, so I had the opportunity to go out to Disneyland and operate Big Thunder Mountain. Uh, and before we opened it here at, at uh, Walt Disney World. So I got that all clicked along, and and uh, I get a phone call uh, that uh, uh, they want me to participate in a small project they were building just south of the Magic Kingdom uh, called Epcot. Uh, and uh, I thought for sure I was going to be a, a, a pavilion coordinator 
but my boss at that time frame, uh, Norm Durgis, uh, basically wanted me to operate a warehouse uh, where we stored what we call OFI, owner furnished items. So everything that, that the company built or constructed for installation uh, in EBCOT, uh, it was going to either be stored or handled by my crew and uh, uh, delivered uh, on site. Uh, and uh, uh, we, we did a pretty good job on that. Uh, we had about $450 million worth of materials. Uh, I remember one, they had a, had a truck come, uh, come in and, and uh, uh, the drivers had no responsibility. They were closed, closed uh, uh, trailers. And he said, whatever was in the back came loose in, in, when I was going across the causeway. Uh, <laughs> and, and sure enough, it was the uh, uh, train that was going to go into uh, the um, American Adventure. Uh, but uh, that, was a, that was an experience and a half. I, I, I transferred from Walt Disney World to WED. Every day was a Christmas. Every day, uh, the truck would roll into the warehouse, and we'd open up the back of the truck and look in there and go, oh, my God, how the heck did they get that on? And then the next question is, <laughs> how in the heck are we going to get it off without <laughs> and, and And understand, it's all one of a kind. Yeah. Okay? Uh, it's a set pieces. The, the, the sets were built in Tahunga uh, in California. Uh, and disassembled, and uh, we had an item tracking system and tagged and sent to Florida. Uh, and then uh, it depends upon where the, where the pavilion was, as we either delivered it directly to the pavilion for installation, or we delivered it uh, to, to my warehouse uh, for storage uh, on that. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's some real interesting stories there. This item tracking system was supposed to be on each individual item, so you knew what it was. And uh, uh, I had this gigantic crate come in, and it, that, that puppy weighed uh, four or five tons. And what it was was all the switches for the monorail. Uh, and in turn, all the tags that were supposed to be on the individual items were stapled to the outside outside of the crate, so we had to unpack the crate, label everything, and get in, in into the process. Also, had a whole truck of carpet show up, and uh, uh, looking at it, we got got it off the the truck, and then we 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 called the the coordinator uh, for that pavilion and understand that each piece of carpet was cut specifically for the room it was going to be installed. And same thing as they'd put all those tags in a bag. Okay. So what we had to do is unroll every piece of carpet, measure it out, and then determine from the color and description and that type thing what pavilion it was going into and what room in that pavilion it was going to go to and then relabel it. So those were some of the challenges of the uh, uh, of running uh, the warehouse for EBCOT. Wow. You know, uh, EBCOT was a whole different story. It didn't have the return on investment. It should have. Uh, those of you uh, that have uh, read uh, The Storming of the Magic Kingdom and all the green mail and everything that was going on, 
that time frame, the stock had come from uh, about $250 a share down to $16 a share. And uh, those of us that were in the overhead position, and that's exactly what WED was, an overhead position, uh, was rather concerned on whether we were going to have a job or not. Uh, so uh, in turn, I got a, I got a call. Uh, that says, you know, Tom, the 16 people that work for you don't work for you anymore. Uh, pack up your office and somebody will call you and tell you where you're going to go. You do have a job, but I, don't, I can't tell you where at this time. And about uh, three days later, I did get a telephone call and I, I moved from uh, Pico into uh, distribution services for Walt Disney World as the superintendent of the general supplies and uh, project warehousing. Uh, and then the, uh, <laughs> that Christmas, the, uh, the, the distribution manager went on vacation and I don't know if it was an alien abduction or what, but, but he didn't come <laughs> back and interviewed uh, for his job and I ended up getting it. So in turn, I, I was promoted from superintendent uh, to the manager of distribution at uh, Walt Disney World uh, and went through that. And we went through a, uh, a whole growth scenario that went on just, just phenomenal. When Frank and Michael uh, came on board uh, and in turn, they started building hotels and hotel rooms and, and uh, all the stuff that was going on uh, that, uh, and we had a, we had an inventory system that was uh, uh, developed in house and it was great. If you shut down for 10 days and let all the paperwork catch up, it was probably about, about 92, 93% reliable. And we needed a real time inventory system uh, that was in the high 90% reliability. So got that. Uh, got a got a warehouse built on property. Uh, we were had had about fifteen buildings uh, in the surrounding uh, uh, counties, um, and moved that stuff back on 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 onto the property. But but in turn, it just kept growing and kept growing. Every movie that goes out adds about eight hundred new stock numbers, SKUs. Okay, wow. so and, and and the merchants, the merchants keep buying it, and and they don't tell anybody that they're buying it, and so all of a sudden we run out of space. So we kept uh, running out of space and having to build build or uh, lease more space off property, um, and and in turn we put that new uh, inventory system in, uh, and uh, it was very reliable. And so the company decided to use that same inventory system in Paris. So I had the opportunity to train the, the uh, director of distribution services for, for uh, and understand it was called Euro Disney at that time. It wasn't Disneyland Paris. It was Euro Disney. Uh, and uh, I wasn't scheduled to go to Paris. Uh, but things started to, uh, to get exciting. And the... Uh, the the director sort of said he needed some help. And so my boss at that time frame was in, in Paris and uh, it was on a, on a Friday afternoon. Uh, I get a call. It says, uh, 
uh, from Howard Rowland, who was my boss at that time for him. He says, hey, I want to have breakfast with you and, and Paul Malay, who was the director of purchasing uh, in uh, in Paris. And and I said, well, Paul, you're Howard, you're in, you're in Paris. He says, oh, yeah, you'll be there, too. Okay, so the travel company was working on uh, getting me some tickets and going. So in, in January of, of 1972, I uh, got on an airplane and uh, spent five months in, in, in Paris uh, uh, through the opening. Uh, did pretty much uh, in Paris what did for Epcot, uh, and uh, that was enjoyable. Uh, got back and and sort of looked around and and uh, so many of my mentors had passed uh, without enjoying the first day of retirement, and so I sat down. I had hired a financial advisor, Mike Wicks, uh years before, and I said, Mike, you know, uh, can I retire? I'm just getting ready to turn sixty, and he looked at everything and says, Yeah, Tom, if if you like your Current lifestyle, uh, yes, uh, you can retire. I said, well, super, you got one more job. You got to convince Mrs. Nabby. So he sat down with Mrs. Nabby and, and convinced her. <laughs> uh, so in, in uh, uh, June, and the reason I'm bringing it up is, is June is the anniversary, right? It's a very active month for me. Uh, my birthday is in June. My higher date is in June. Father's Day is in June. I got married in June, uh, and I I uh, was hired for Disneyland in June, and I retired from Walt Disney World in June. So the 27th of this month would be 20 years. Wow. Uh, so the time of recording this, that I had now. It's a happy anniversary. Yeah. Uh, wow. And, and you know, I, I've stayed fairly, fairly active. Uh, I do a lot of. Uh, internal uh, Disney heritage things for people that uh, invite me, um, and I do a lot of this. This uh, uh, and there are there are a lot of Disney clubs out there that want me. I had the opportunity to be the keynote speaker uh, for the uh, a family museum in Marceline, uh, which was sort of neat. And then they they scheduled me that I could go through the uh, Mark Twain. Uh, uh, museum in Hannibal. I had never been there, so I got a private tour of the the, the museum in Hannibal. Uh, I understand that the they're they're using a picture of me in their promotional uh, for their the tours of the museum. Oh, you you deserve it. <laughs> they better they better do that. <laughs> and uh, uh, and yeah, I I retired in two thousand three. Uh, and my manager at that time frame, or my director at that time frame, was Greg Bruce. And Greg gasped me, what would I like to have as my retirement gift? And I told him I would really like to have a window on Main Street at Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Okay, well, he made it happen for Walt Disney World, but he didn't, couldn't, couldn't, uh, make it happen at Disneyland. So, so that's sort of on my bucket list to see if I can get that. <laughs> uh, we'll start the petition, Tom. Bad, Tom. <laughs> yeah, but I do get credit oh. on my window here because it says proprietor Tom Nabby, uh, Lake Buena Vista, Florida, Anaheim, California. You know, you know, I thought the window 
on Main Street was the cream to cream. Uh, you know, you know, I I couldn't think of anything better out there. Uh, and uh, I, I, we were in uh, Anaheim uh, for Disneyland's 55th anniversary, and the alumni club uh, had held a uh, dinner dance, and we were at the dance, and and one of the guys I had worked with uh, for years, Jim Cora, he basically said, "Tom, I'll see you in September." And I said, "Jim, I know." Um, I don't plan on coming back here in September, okay? Uh, you know, and he says, oh, yeah, you know, you and, and Sully and myself are going to be inducted as Disney legends uh, in September of 2005. Now, Jim Corr wow. was, was, was a guy that throw that line out there, and, and if, if he hooked you, okay? So I wasn't going to let Jim hook me. Uh, so in turn, I, I I said, oh, okay. And so when I got back to the hotel room that night, I called my sister who was house-sitting uh, for us. And I said, hey, is there a letter uh, from the studio there? And he said, oh, yeah. I said, do me a favor, open it up and tell me what it says. And sure enough, that's going to be inducted as a Disney legend wow. in uh, September of 05. Yeah, I got goosebumps <laughs> right now. You know, that's if, if you look at the 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 two hundred thousand employees that work for uh, the Walt Disney Company. Uh, there's only maybe a half dozen to a dozen people to get inducted as as legends on an annual basis, and uh, uh, that puts me. One thing nice about it, it's nice to be a living legend. The alternative sort of sucks a little bit. Uh, it's nice to be the president of a living legend. This is yeah. I just turned, uh, I'm an oxygenarian now. So, uh, Happy late birthday. Just, I just turned 80 on the 12th of this. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, Happy uh, birthday. Happy birthday, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm in a, a, a site on Facebook called uh, uh, Disneyland's First Generation. Oh, and I, wow. And I posted a a picture of all of us that attended the 35th uh, anniversary. And I sort of looking at the picture and there's only seven of us that are still left. Wow. Uh, six wow. of us in the picture. Uh, one guy didn't make the picture, but he's still around. Mm-hmm. They were members of the 55 club. Wow. wow. That's that's awesome. Yeah, Tom, can you tell us what the, the club 55 is? Cause that's pretty cool. There's some yeah. cool, there's a criteria yeah. that you have to have to be club 55, right? Yeah, the criteria is, is 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 you had to have a pay paycheck from 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 the uh, uh, first year of operation, and a gentleman that's in the club to uh, uh, Ron Heminger uh, and I uh, both uh, started in 1955, but but we weren't on the Disney payroll until later that year, and we kept uh, soliciting Dick. Uh, that, that we were we were really members of the Fifty Five Club, and uh, in the uh, mid seventies, uh, Dick agreed and uh, inducted uh, both uh, Ron and myself in the Club Fifty Five. Okay, Tom. Okay. So why don't you tell us about the book you wrote and uh, what it means for Disney uh, goers to learn about your story? Yeah, I had done a couple of blogs. Uh, for a gentleman by the name of uh, Bob McLean, and he sold he sold his blog off, and he 
bought into a publishing company and uh, he wanted to do a whole series of books on on legends so in turn he said you know we got we got the workings of several uh chapters you know but i need you need you to write the book i said hey I, you know i'm not a writer and he said oh no problem so he uh so he sent me a uh recorder and so i recorded about 70 hours of uh, uh information that he transcribed and then we went back and went over that and that's pretty much where the where the book came from and it you know, cover cover all the the situations there's some interesting uh, areas in there that uh, I, I enjoy. It's available on Amazon. Uh, if if you want Kindle, it's available on Kindle, Amazon, or in or in paperback. Uh, if you want a, a signed autograph copy, uh, then you need to go to my website, which is tomnabby.com. Okay, uh, and uh, order it there, and I'd be more than happy to mail it out to you costs a little more but because i i sent it out uh uh parcel post so i was gonna say uh definitely go out and buy it. i read it earlier today i'm a librarian so i can go through books real quick but i read it and it was fantastic so definitely worth the buy <laughs> well super i hope you it's a it, it's a sort of a short story by a short author <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know, you mentioned uh, how you recorded it to for the book to be written, and I can I can definitely see that now, having read it. It it sounds just like your voice, so it is a it is just really fascinating to see and to read all of the different parts of your story. Um, and then also, it starts off. Um, it, well, sorry, it ends with the next um, the next Tom Sawyer after yeah. you, Barry. I don't know if you go to Europe, but. Uh... If, if anybody wants a book, they need to buy it through Amazon. Uh, because because if, if you go to my website, it costs twice as much uh, to, <laughs> to, to ship it to Europe. So Amazon is a lot easier. So, uh, Tom, let me let me let me ask you. Um, so how do you, do you get together with um, you? You mentioned uh, being around other Disney legends. Uh, do you guys uh, do you guys still connect as often as you guys used to? Well, uh, I I I said a, a luncheon. It's called Meatloaf Thursday because we started out at the Ale House and the Ale House had a special on meatloaf on Thursdays. Uh, they don't have Meatloaf Thursday anymore, but the guys maintained they wanted to still call it Meatloaf Thursdays. But we meet them in a Mexican restaurant. In, in Winter Garden uh, here in Florida about every oh, five, five to six weeks. Uh, there are several reunions that are going on all the time uh, and that I, I try to uh, join my fair share of those. Uh, WDI uh, has a, a, a monthly get-together here in Florida uh, for those people that have, have retired uh, from WDI. Uh, that uh, are residing in Florida, so I do see a lot of a lot of folks. Uh, and then uh, every Wednesday evening we have the staff meeting, uh, and it's pretty much the uh, merchants that I work with and warehouse people 
that I work with uh, that we get together every Thursday. I've been doing that for, God, I, I want to say 30 years. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Martin McCarthy, uh, Martin and I have drank in the same location uh, for 60-some years. Uh, and it's changed names, but it's still in the same location. It started out Johnny's Corner, and then it went to 7-Eleven, and then it went to Mr. G's, and now it's the Ale House. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that. So Martin um, Martin and I go back way back. He just retired uh, with uh, uh, 55 years. Tom, who, uh, during these luncheons, who shows up the most? Is there like a core group of legends that's like, well, I'd love meatloaf and I'll show up and, and, you know, do, who yeah. are you closest to? Yeah. As far as the legends. Yeah. Bob Greer shows up to anything. <laughs> and promotes. <He's> a, he, <laughs> he, he promotes all his books and, and, uh, uh, sells his, his, uh, stuff, uh, in turn, but, uh, he's a fascinating guy, uh, to listen to. Yeah, you hear that, Barry? We got to get him on the show. <laughs> um, yeah, the other one I see quite frequently is Debbie Dane, uh, and uh, uh, Debbie Debbie Dane Brown now, but she was the original ambassador, uh, and then uh, uh, a, a lot of the the folks, Dwight Door uh, and uh, Joanne uh, Door. Uh, uh, we get together occasionally. The Paris group uh, usually once a year gets together and, and we have a dinner uh, somewhere along the line. Uh, Monorail group threw a pretty good uh, uh, party here a while back and, and took a cruise out of Stanford. And then uh, a, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Jim Beekman puts together a transportation group party that happens once a year in Claremont. That's great. Uh, so I, cool. I, I stay pretty much in touch with a lot of people out there. It's great uh, to have yeah. that camaraderie. That's really cool. Yeah. That's and, really nice. And I, I enjoy uh, sharing my Disney heritage. So uh, when I get a call, uh, I'm Barry's aware that I basically, yeah, sure, let's do it. Uh, as long as I get to promote my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, I, I, once I, again, I, Tom, um, would you like to promote your book? <laughs> all to all our listeners, buy Tom's book, please. From Disneyland's Tom Sawyer to Disney Legends. Buy it on Amazon or on his website. <laughs> so, Tom, I, 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 th I think it's good um, that you guys actually have luncheons. Uh, well, it's it's a group that doesn't get any bigger. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the 55 club, we lost several members last year, uh, Jim Cora, uh, Ron Dominguez, uh, George Short, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I'm still active member of the order of the red handkerchief at Disneyland. Those, those folks are the people who work the mine train. That's interesting. Uh, Tom, since you're one of the first, or not the first, but since you're one of the earlier people here in Disneyland, I'm sure you have tons of stories on Walt. Other than the stories that you've told us so far, what has been like your favorite memory of Walt that you can think of? 
Well, I, I think the time that he came over the island and we walked the island and, and uh, I had the opportunity to make rec recommendations on it. Uh, the last time I saw Walt was in uh, uh, 62. Uh, and one of the responsibilities were if you saw Walt in the park and if he was getting inundated with autographs, you would approach him and say, Walt, do you want to go backstage? Because he didn't know where all the exits were. Uh, and so uh, it was in frontier land between the malt shop and, and uh, Oaks Tavern. And uh, I said, well, you know, uh, you want to go backstage? And he said, yeah, Tom, because uh, he saw my name tag. Okay. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, slowly worked him to the gate and got back. And I said, you know, you know, well, I'm, I'm not sure if, if, if you remember me, but I was, I was Tom Navi, and I'm, uh, you hired me to be Tom Sawyer. And he says, oh, yeah, you just have to bring your report card into Dick all the time. So, uh, yeah, he, he remembered who I was, and, and uh, uh, that was my last little short conversation with Walt. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of contact with Roy. Uh, I had quite a bit of contact with Card, uh, a little bit with uh, Ron Miller, mm -hmm. um, uh, Don Tatum, and that group, but uh, very little contact with Roy. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome to have like a last memory of Walt. <laughs> Can I ask one more question? Uh, last sure. question. Just one. One. I can answer for five dollars. Okay, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Gladly. <laughs> but she did. Read, she so, did read your book completely. So, I, I did. Well, that was one of my one of my questions. Was something we didn't we didn't quite touch on, which is we we touched on a lot, but it was one part in your book, the Nabby Grabber. Oh yeah. Kid. <laughs> <laughs> And I was wondering, they they can pick up the book if they want to know what we're talking about. You would, you, you would think that the CEO of the company, when he made a comment that's written in the annual report, would check <laughs> to see if that comment was true or not. <laughs> uh, but uh, Michael Eisner gave me credit for inventing the little picker-uppers that you pick trash up with. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but in turn, what, what it really boiled down to is uh, uh, people would drop the weirdest stuff. There's a, about a four-inch opening between the side of the monorail and the platform uh, in the Magic Kingdom station. Well, in all the stations, okay. Uh, uh, but in the Magic Kingdom station and in uh, Main Gate Ticket Center and Contemporary Hotel, okay, uh, there's a trough, okay, and people would drop their ticket books, their purses, their keys. Uh, yeah, the only thing I didn't drop in that trough was their kids, okay. And so uh, I was watching the custodial guys uh, going down and picking up all the paper and everything on it. So I went to uh, uh, the manager of custodial uh, at that time from uh, Roy Young. And I said, Roy, give me 12 of those those picker-uppers that you have. And so he gave me 12 of them, and I took them to the monorail shop, and I said, hey, look, guys, extend these out to eight feet, okay? Insulate them, because the bus bar on the monorail is 600 
volts DC. You don't want to defy okay. yourself. <laughs> that would cook you pretty good if you shorted it out, that type of thing. And so I had them, uh, uh, they extended it out with PVC in a, in a uh, nylon line in, in the middle. And so previously, what we would have to do is take the train out of the station, shut the rectifier down, jump down in the trough, retrieve whatever they dropped in the trough, and bring it back up. And sometimes that took a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour of downtime in order to do that. Uh, so in turn, what we did, what did now is uh, when the train left the station, you just ask the guests to wait. And when the train left the station, they go over and they would pick the items up off the, out of the trough and give them back to the guests. Okay, as people migrated off the monorail system, one of the uh, uh, monorail uh, uh, working foremen, uh, Randy Buss, uh, named it the Nabby Grabber. Okay, and so we had we had two in the Magic Kingdom station, two in the Contemporary, and and two in the main main gate complex station and had backups on it. So that's where the nabby grabber uh, comes I from. It. I love it. Now we can go to sleep at night, Tom. It's, it's, that, was, that was the pressing question on our, on our hearts. And so and it, was uh, on mine. it was on Hannah's heart. So thank you. Thank you for that. Michael Eister, I, I should be getting uh, royalties. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it should be on it should be on late night television. You know, when you're up at one or two AM, you should have the nabby grabber on there. Now there is a company out there and it's called the Nabber Grabber. Oh okay. so um, I don't know if the Nabber first or <laughs> how they tagged on to that name, but uh, right. we don't support we rise the Grabber Tom King is just <laughs> is just due. Yeah, yeah, retro. Uh, yeah, retroactive. <laughs> I don't know if anybody in the group is a member of Retro Disney. You'll uh, be sitting on a pile of money. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you offer the if you offer the Navi Grabber with your book, I think a lot of people would. I mean, yeah, one book, the get one free. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap up this episode. Um, again, if you want to find uh, Tom's book, you can go to his website, TomNavi.com. You can go on there and he will personalize it for you. Or you can go to your usual sites like Amazon or other places like that. And we want to thank Tom for coming on and joining us tonight for our episode and we wanted to thank each one of you for tuning in to our episode of sharing the magic as always please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes and please 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 tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one you can also find us on all the social media like facebook instagram and tiktok at sharing the magic pod and as always until next time keep sharing the magic